Section 3 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649 by John Winthrop. Section 3, 1632. January 27th. The governor and some company with him went up by Charles River about eight miles above Watertown and named the first brook on the north side of the river, being a fair stream and coming from a pond a mile from the river, Beaver Brook, because the beavers had shorn down diverse great trees there and made diverse dams across the brook. Thence they went to a great rock, upon which stood a high stone, cleft and sunder, that four men might go through, which they called Adam's Chair, because the youngest of their company was Adam Winthrop. Thence they came to another brook, greater than the former, which they called Masters Brook, because the eldest of their company was one John Masters. Thence they came to another high-pointed rock, having a fair ascent on the west side, which they called Mount Feek, for one Robert Feek, who had married the governor's daughter-in-law. On the west side of Mount Feek they went up a very high rock, from whence they might see all over Nipnet, and a very high hill due west, about forty miles off, and to the northwest the high hills by Merrimack, above sixty miles off. Footnote. It is easy today to trace the governor's routes. Beaver Brook still retains its name. The mounds seen to the west was Wachuset. The spurs of Monondock are the highlands northward. In footnote. February 7th. The governor, Mr. Noel, Mr. Elliot, and others went over Mystic River at Medford, and going north and by east among the rocks about two or three miles, they came to a very great pond, having in the midst an island of about one acre, and very thick with trees of pine and beech, and the pond had diverse small rocks standing up here and there in it, which they therefore called Spot Pond. Footnote, it is still Spot Pond. In footnote, they went all about it upon the ice. From thence, towards the northwest, about half a mile, they came to the top of a very high rock, beneath which, towards the north, lies a goodly plain, part open land and part woody. From thence there is a fair prospect, but it being then close and rainy, they could see but a small distance. This place they called Cheese Rock, because when they went to eat something, they had only cheese, the governor's man forgetting for haste to put up some bread. Fourteenth. The governor and some other company went to view the country as far as Neponset, and returned that night. Seventeenth. The governor and assistants called before them at Boston diverse of Watertown, the pastor and elder by letter, and the others by warrant. The occasion was, for that a warrant being sent to Watertown for levying of eight pounds, part of a rate of sixty pounds, ordered for the fortifying of the new town, footnote, new town later Cambridge. Old willows still exist, which perhaps descend from stocks in the ancient palisade. Jones' Life of Dudley gives an interesting picture of a group till lately standing in Holmes Field, in footnote. The pastor and elder, etc., assembled the people and delivered their opinions that it was not safe to pay monies after that sort for fear of bringing themselves and posterity into bondage. Being come before the governor and council after much debate, they acknowledged their fault, confessing freely that they were in an error and made a retraction and submission under their hands, and were enjoined to read it in the assembly the next Lord's Day. The ground of their error was, for that they took the government to be no other but as of a mayor and aldermen, who have not power to make laws or raise taxations without the people, but understanding that the government was rather in the nature of a parliament, and that no assistant could be chosen but by the freemen, who had power likewise to remove the assistants and put in others, and therefore at every general court, which was to be held once every year, they had free liberty to consider and propound anything concerning the same, and to declare their grievances, without being subject to question or etc., they were fully satisfied, and so their submission was accepted, and their offense pardoned. Footnote. Quote, the new government was changing, essentially, and Winthrop's account being meager, Savage's note may be quoted. Quote, 
in the ejection of these gentlemen of watertown there was much force for no power was by the charter granted to the governor and assistants to raise money by levy assessment or taxation indeed the same may be said of the right of making general orders or laws for the directors of the company or courts of assistance could only be executive the company or great body of the corporation however submitted at first to the mild and equal temporary usurpation of the officers chosen by themselves which was also justified by indisputable necessity so simply patriarchal was the government and so indifferent was the majority of the settlers to return their full charter rights that at the first general court or meeting of the whole company held at boston nineteen october after their arrival for the establishing of the government it was propounded if it were not the best course that the freemen should have the power of choosing assistance when they are to be chosen and the assistance from among themselves to choose a governor and deputy governor who with the assistance should have the power of making laws and choosing officers to execute the same this was fully assented unto by the general vote of the people in erection of hands such an extraordinary surrender of power proves that no jealousy was excited by the former assumption by the governor and assistance of the legislative in addition to the executive and judicial functions with which the charter seems to invest them in footnote march fifth the first court after winter it was ordered that the courts which before were every three weeks should now be held the first tuesday in every month commissioners appointed to set out the bounds of the towns fourteenth the bark warwick derived at natascot having been at pasca to quack and at salem to sell corn which she brought from virginia at her coming into natascot with a southeast wind she was in great danger by a sudden gust to be cast away upon the rocks nineteenth she came to winsomet mr maverick one of the ministers of dorchester in drying a little power which took fire by the heat of the fire-pan fired a small barrel of two or three pounds yet did no other harm but singe his clothes it was in the new meeting-house which was thatched and the thatch only blacked a little april third at a court at boston the deputy mr dudley went away before the court was ended and the secretary delivered the governor a letter from him directed to the governor and assistance wherein he declared a resignation from his deputyship and a place of assistance but it was not allowed april third at a court at boston the deputy mr dudley went away before the court was ended and then the secretary delivered the governor a letter from him directed to the governor and assistance wherein he declared a resignation of his deputyship and place of assistance but it was not allowed at this court an act was made expressing the governor's power etc and the office of the secretary and treasurer etc ninth the bark warwick and mr maverick's pinnace went out towards virginia twelfth the governor received letters from plymouth signifying that there had been a broil between their men at soamset and the narragansett indians who set upon the english house there to have taken osmaquen footnote Osamequin, better known as Manasoit, was a friend of the Englishman and father of the more famous Metacom, or King Philip, in footnote, the Sagamore of Pakanokot, who was fled thither with all his people for refuge, and that Captain Standish, being gone thither to relieve the three English which were in the house, had sent home in all haste for more men and other provisions upon intelligence that Canonicus, with a great army, was coming against them withal they writ to our governor for some powder to be sent with all possible speed for it seemed they were unfurnished upon this the governor presently dispatched away the messenger with so much powder as he could carry viz twenty seven pounds sixteenth the messenger returned and brought a letter from the governor signifying that the indians were retired from salams to fight with the pequins which was probable because john sagamore and chickatabba were gone with all their men viz john sagamore thirty and chickatabba with blank to canonicus who had sent for them a rare was erected by watertown men upon charles river three miles above the town where they took great stores of shads 
A Dutch ship was brought from Virginia 2,000 bushels of corn, which is sold at 4 shillings 6 pence the bushel. May 1st. The governor and assistants met at Boston to consider of the deputy his deserting his place. Footnote. Dudley's dissatisfaction with the Winthrop regime will before long manifest itself more violently. In footnote. The points discussed were two. The first, upon what grounds he did it. Second, whether it were good or void. For the first, his main reason was for the public peace, because he must needs discharge his conscience in speaking freely, and he saw that bred disturbance, etc. For the second, it was maintained by all that he could not leave his place except by the same power which put him in, yet he would not be put from his contrary opinion, nor would be persuaded to continue till the general court, which is to be the ninth of this month. Another question fell out with him, about some bargains he had made with some poor men, members of the same congregation, to whom he had sold seven bushels and an half of corn to receive tin for it after harvest, which the governor and others held to be a pressing usury, and within compass of the statute, but he persisted to maintain it to be lawful, and there arose hot words about it, he telling the governor that, if he had thought he had sent for him to his house to give him such usage, he would not have come there, and that he never knew any man of understanding of other opinion, and that the governor thought otherwise of it, it was his weakness. The governor took notice of these speeches, and bare them with more patience than he had done upon a like occasion at another time. Upon this there arose another question about his house. The governor having formally told him that he did not well to bestow such cost about wainscoting and adorning his house in the beginning of a plantation, both in regard of the necessity of public charges and for example, etc., his answer now was that it was for the warmth of his house, and the charge was little, being but clapboards nailed to the wall in the form of wainscot. These and other speeches passed before dinner. After dinner the governor told him, that he had heard that the people intended at the next general court to desire that the assistants might be chosen anew every year, and that the governor might be chosen by the whole court and not by the assistants only. Upon this, Mr. Ludlow grew into passion and said, that then we should have no government, but there would be an interim wherein every man might do as he pleased, etc. This was answered and cleared in the judgment of the rest of the assistants, but he continued stiff in his opinion, and protested he would then return back to England." another business fell out which was this mr clark footnote john clark as constable of watertown was a civil official while patrick belonged to the class of whom miles standish john mason and john underhill were types veteran soldiers who trained to good purpose the planters exposed to many perils in footnote of watertown had complained to the governor that captain patrick being removed out of the town to newtown did compel them to watch near newtown and desired the governor that they might have the ordering within their own town the governor answered him that the ordering of the watch did properly belong to the constable, but in those towns where the captains dwelt they had thought fit to leave it to them, and since Captain Patrick was removed, the constable might take care of it, but advised him withal to acquaint the deputy with it, and at the court it should be ordered. Clark went right home and told the captain that the governor had ordered that the constable should set the watch, which was false, but the captain answered somewhat rashly, and like a soldier, which being certified to the governor by three witnesses, he sent a warrant to the constable to this effect, that whereas some difficulty was fallen out, etc., about this watch, etc., he should, according to his office, see due watch should be kept till the court had taken order of it. This much displeased the captain who came to this meeting to have it redressed. The governor told the rest what he had done and upon what ground, whereupon they refused to do anything in it till the court. 
while they were sitting thus together an indian brings a letter from captain standish then at soams to this effect that the dutchman which lay for trading at Engedset or Narangeset, had lately informed that many pequins who were professed enemies of the Enagansets, had been there diverse days and advised us to be watchful etc giving other reasons etc thus the day was spent and no good done which was the more uncomfortable to most of them because they had commended this meeting to god in a more earnest manner than ordinary at other meetings may eighth a general court at boston whereas it was at our first coming agreed that the freemen should choose the assistants and they the governor the whole court agreed now that the governor assistant should be all new chosen every year by the general court the governor to be always chosen out of the assistants and accordingly the old governor john winthrop was chosen accordingly all the rest as before and mr humphrey footnote humphrey did not arrive until sixteen thirty four nor coddington till sixteen thirty three noteworthy men accounts of whom are deferred from the present in footnote and mr coddington also because they were daily expected the deputy governor thomas dudley esq having submitted the validity of his resignation to the vote of the court it was adjudged a nullity and he accepted of his place again and the governor and he being reconciled the day before all things were carried very lovingly amongst all etc and the people carried themselves with much silence and modesty john winthrop the governor's son was chosen an assistant a proposition was made by the people that every company of trained men might choose their own captain and officers but the governor giving them reasons to the contrary they were satisfied without it every town chose two men to be at the next court to advise with the governor and assistants about the raising of a public stock so as what they should agree upon should bind all etc this court was begun and ended with speeches for the etc as formerly the governor among other things used this speech to the people after he had taken his oath that he had received gratuities from diverse towns which he returned with much comfort and content he had also received many kindnesses from particular persons which he would not refuse lest he should be accounted uncourteous etc but he professed that he received them with a trembling heart in regard of god's rule and that the consciousness of his own infirmity and therefore desired them that hereafter they would not take it ill if he did refuse presents from particular persons except they were from the assistants or from special friends to which no answer was made but he was told after that many good people were much grieved at it for that he had never had any allowance towards the charge of this place twenty fourth the fortification upon the corn hill at boston was begun twenty fifth charleston men came and wrought upon the fortification roxbury the next and dorchester the next twenty sixth the whale arrived with mr wilson mr dummer footnote john wilson who had been much missed now returns with wife richard dummer will appear hereafter as an engaging character he was an ancestor of jeremy and william dummer eminent citizens of a later time the name of the family is still commemorated in dummer academy newbury in footnote and about thirty passengers all in health and of seventy cows lost but two she came from hampton april eighth mr graves was master june fifth the william and francis mr thomas master with about sixty passengers whereof mr weld footnote thomas weld coming from essex at once became pastor at roxbury as john elliot was teacher he will appear often as one of the ablest and strictest upholders of the theocracy being particularly active against anne hutchinson savage and others have wrongly ascribed to him the authorship of a book really written by winthrop a short history of the rise reign and ruin of the antinomians familists and libertines that infested the churches of new england portions of which are included in this volume weld returned to england in sixteen forty one with hugh peter as agent of the colony he was more in sympathy with the intolerance of the presbyterians than with the free spirit of independency 
he bore himself with consistency conforming neither to independency when it was in power nor later to the restored church of england being ejected at the restoration from his living in durham and footnote and old mr bachelor footnote stephen bachelor who soon became minister at lynn was like dummer one of the company of husbandmen in footnote being aged seventy one were with their families and many other honest men also the charles of barnstable with near eighty cows and six mares mr hatherley footnote thomas hatherley frequently mentioned by bradford as one of the merchants who aided the pilgrims was a founder of situate in footnote the merchant and about twenty passengers all safe and in health they set sail viz the william and francis from london march the ninth and the charles from barnstable april tenth and met near cape ann mr winslow footnote edward winslow a worcestershire gentleman born in fifteen ninety five was socially highest in station amongst the plymouth men he became later the most conspicuous in the band and was surpassed in usefulness only by branford and brewster if by them he was the only one of the plymouth men whose portrait has been transmitted to us his marriage with the widow of william white mother of peregrine white the first white child born in new england was the earliest marriage in new england may twelfth sixteen twenty one he travelled over europe before coming to america and after coming was the trusted agent of his colony and various distant commissions both in england and america in sixteen thirty three he became governor of plymouth for a year but his tact and experience fitted him especially for work of a different kind in sixteen thirty five he was again sent to england to represent not only plymouth but massachusetts bay at the english court here he encountered the malcontents who smarting under puritan discipline were traducing new england through thomas morton of marymount he suffered imprisonment returning to america he was again chosen governor of plymouth but soon took the position of magistrate becoming in sixteen forty three a commissioner of the united colonies as he before pleaded and suffered in the presence of the king and laud in behalf of the colonies so now he confronted gorton and others who accused new england before the powers of the new regime in sixteen forty six we find him again in the old world where he gained favor under the commonwealth and in sixteen fifty five was sent by cromwell as one of the commissioners to direct an expedition to the west indies here soon after the capture of jamaica he died he was humane as well as wise his work with and for the indians especially showing his kindly spirit in footnote of plymouth came in the william and francis twelfth the james mr grant master arrived her passage was eight weeks from london she brought sixty-one heifers and lost forty and brought twelve passengers thirteenth a day of thanksgiving in all the plantations by public authority for the good success of the king of sweden and protestants in germany against the emperor etc footnote the victory of gustavus at brightonfield followed by his occupation of frankfurt and mainz and the successes of the elector of saxony and bohemia in footnote and for the safe arrival of all the ships they having not lost one person nor one sick among them fourteenth the governor was invited to dinner aboard the whale the master fetched him in his boat and gave him three pieces at his going off the french came in a pinnace to pinnasquat and rifled the trucking house belonging to plymouth carrying thence three hundred weight of beaver and other goods footnote see bradford pages two eighty four two eighty five in the series in footnote they took also one dixie bull and a shallop in goods one abraham shirt of pimiquid and one captain wright and others coming to pascatiquac being bound for this bay in a shallop with two hundred pounds worth of commodities one of the seamen going to light a pipe of tobacco set fire on a barrel of power which tear the boat in pieces that man was never seen the rest were all saved but the goods lost 
the man that was blown away with the powder in the boat at Pascataquac was found after with his hands and feet torn off this fellow being wished by another to forbear to take any tobacco till they came to the shore which was hard by answered that if the devil should carry him away quick he would take one pipe some in the boat were so drunk and fast asleep that they did not awake with the noise a shallop of one henry way of dorchester having been missing all the winter it was found that the men in her being five were all killed tremendously by the eastern indians another shallop of his being sent out to seek out the other was cast away aquamenticus and two of the men drowned a fishing shallop at isle of shoals was overset one noddle an honest man of salem carrying wood in a canoe in the south river was overturned and drowned july at a training at watertown a man of john oldham's footnote john oldham came to plymouth in 1623 and proving to be a disturber of the colony became a rover he had more courage and enterprise than piety settling at nantisket then at cape ann then at watertown in 1633, with three companions, he made his way through the woods to the Connecticut, becoming the pioneer of the English occupation there. In 1636, as we shall see, his murder by the Indians in his shallops near Block Island brought on the Pequot War. In footnote. Having a musket which had been long charged with pistol bullets, not knowing it, gave fire, and shot three men, two in their bodies and one in his hands, but it was so far off as the shot entered the skin and stayed there, and they all recovered the congregation at boston wrote to the elders and brethren of the churches of plymouth salem etc for their advice in three questions one whether one person might be a civil magistrate and a ruling elder at the same time two if not then which should be laid down three whether there might be diverse pastors in the same church the first was agreed by all negatively the second doubtfully the third doubtful also the strife in Watertown congregation continued still, but at length they gave the separatists a day to come in, or else to be proceeded against. Fifth, at the day all came in and submitted, except John Masters, who, though we were advised by diverse ministers and others that he had offended in turning his back upon the sacrament and departing out of the assembly, etc., because they had admitted a member whom he judged unfit, etc., yet he persisted. So the congregation, being loath to proceed against him, gave him a further day, eighth, at which time, he continuing obstinate, they excommunicated him, but about a fortnight after he submitted himself and was received in again. At Watertown there was, in the view of diverse witnesses, a great combat between a mouse and a snake, and after a long fight the mouse prevailed and killed the snake. The pastor of Boston, Mr. Wilson, a very sincere holy man, hearing of it, gave this interpretation, that the snake was the devil, the mouse was a poor contemptible people, which God had brought hither, which should overcome Satan here, and dispossess him of his kingdom. Upon the same occasion he told the governor that, before he was resolved to come into this country, he dreamed he was here, and that he saw a church arise out of the earth, which grew up and became a marvelous goodly church. After many imperlences and days of humiliation, by those of Boston and Roxbury to seek for the Lord for Mr. Weld his disposing, and the advice of those of Plymouth were taken, etc. at length, he resolved to sit down with them at Roxbury. August 3rd, the deputy Mr. Thomas Dudley, being still discontented with the governor, partly for that the governor had removed the frame of his house which he had set up at Newtown, and partly for that he took too much authority upon him, as he conceived, renewed his complaints to Mr. Wilson and Mr. Weld, who, acquainting the governor therewith, a meeting was agreed upon at Charleston, where were present the deputy and governor, Mr. Nowell, Mr. Wilson, Mr. Weld, Mr. Maverick, and Mr. Warham. 
The conference being begun with calling upon the Lord, the deputy began, that however he had some particular grievances, etc., yet seeing he was advised by those present and diverse of the assistants to be silent in them, he would let them pass, and so come first to complain of the breach of promise, both in the governor and others, in not building at Newtown. The governor answered that he had performed the words of the promise, for he had had a house up, and seven or eight servants abiding in it, by the day appointed, and for the removing of his house he alleged, that, seeing that the rest of the assistants went not about to build, and that his neighbors of Boston had been discouraged from removing thither by Mr. Deputy himself, and therefore had, upon all their hands, petitioned him, that according to the promise he made to them when they first sat down with him at Boston Bees, that he would not remove, except they went with him, he would not leave them. This was the occasion that he removed his house. Upon these and other speeches to this purpose, the ministers went apart for one hour, then returning, they delivered their opinions, that the governor was in fault for removing of his house so suddenly, without conferring with the deputy and the rest of the assistants. But if the deputy were the occasion of discouraging Boston men from removing, it would excuse the governor a tanto, but not a toto. The governor, professing himself willing to submit his own opinion to the judgment of so many wise and godly friends, acknowledged himself faulty. After dinner, the deputy proceeded in his complaint, yet with this protestation, that what he should charge the governor with was, in love, and out of his care of the public, and that the things which he should procure were but for his own satisfaction, not by way of accusation. Then demanded he of him the ground and limits of his authority, whether by patent or otherwise. The governor answered that he was willing to stand to that which he propounded, and would challenge no greater authority than he might by the patent. The deputy replied that he had no more authority than every assistant, except power to call courts and precedency for honor and order. The governor answered he had more, for the patent making him a governor, gave him whatsoever power belonged to a governor by common law or the statutes, and desired him to show wherein he had exceeded, etc., and speaking this somewhat apprehensively, the deputy began to be in passion, and told the governor that if he were so round, he would be round too. The governor bade him be round if he would. So the deputy rose up in great fury and passion, and the governor grew very hot also, so as they both fell into bitterness, but by mediation of the mediators they were soon pacified. Then the deputy proceeded to particulars as followeth. First, by what authority the governor removed the ordinance and erected a fort at Boston. The governor answered that the ordinance lying upon the beach in danger of spoiling, and having often complained of it in the court and nothing done with the help of diverse and of the assistants, they were mounted upon their carriages and removed where they might be of some use, and for the fort it had been agreed above a year before that it should be erected there, and all this was done without any penny charge to the public. Second, by what authority he lent twenty-eight pounds of powder to those of Plymouth, the governor answered, as it was of his own powder, and upon their urgent distress, their own powder proving not, when they were to send to the rescue of their men at Soamset. Third, by what authority he had licensed Edward Johnson. Footnote, Edward Johnson probably came with Winthrop, a man from Kent. His service was both military and civil, and in 1642 he was one of the founders of Woburn. He lived long, his name occurring in various honorable connections. He is best known as author of A History of New England from 1628 to 1652, the wonder-working providence of Zion's Savior in New England, London, 1654, which is to be reprinted in this series, in footnote, to sit down at Merrimack. Governor answered that he had licensed him only to go forth on trading, as he had done diverse others as belonging to his place. 
forth by what authority he had given them of watertown leaf to erect a ware upon charles river and a dispose of lands to diverse etc the governor answered the people of watertown falling very short of corn the last year for want of fish did complain etc and desired leaf to erect a ware and upon this the governor told them that, that he could not give them leave but they must seek it of the court but because it would be long before the courts began again and if they deferred till then the season would be lost he wished them to do it and there was no doubt but being for so general a good the court would allow it and for his part he would employ all his power in the court so as he should sink under it if it were not allowed and besides those of roxbury had erected a ware without any license from the court and for lands he had disposed to none otherwise than the deputy and other of the assistants had done he had given only his consent but referred them to the court etc but the deputy had taken more upon him in that without order the court he had impaled at newtown above one thousand acres and had assigned lands to some there fifth by what authority he had given license to ratcliffe and gray being banished men to stay within our limits governor answered he did that by that authority which was granted him in court viz that upon any sentence in criminal causes the governor might upon cause stay the execution till the next court now the cause was that being in winter they might otherwise have perished sixth why the fines were not levy governor answered it belonged to the secretary and not to him he never refused to sign any that were brought to him nay he had called upon the secretary for it yet he confessed that it was his judgment that it were not fit in the infancy of the commonwealth to be too strict in levying fines though severe in other punishments seventh that when a cause had been voted by the rest of the court the governor would bring new reasons and move them to alter the sentence which the governor justified and all approved the deputy having made an end the governor desired the mediators to consider whether he had exceeded his authority or not and how little cause the deputy had to charge him with it for if he had made some slips in two or three years government he ought rather to have covered them seem he could not be charged that he had taken advantage of his authority to oppress or wrong any man or to benefit himself but for want of a public stock had dispersed all common charges out of his own estate whereas the deputy would never lay out one penny etc and besides he could show that under his hand that would convince him of a greater exceeding his authority than that all the deputy could charge him with viz that whereas banks and johnson were bound in open court to appear at next court to account to etc he had out of court discharged them of their appearance the deputy answered that the party to whom they were to account came to him and confessed that he was satisfied and that the parties were to go to virginia so he thought he might discharge them though the governor might justly have refused to answer these seven articles wherewith the deputy had charged him both for that he had no knowledge of them before the meeting being only for the deputy his personal grievances and also for that the governor was not to give account of his actions to any but to the court yet out of his desire of the public peace and to clear his reputation with those to whom the deputy had accused him he was willing to give him satisfaction to the end that he might free him of such jealousy as he had conceived that the governor intended to make himself popular that he might gain absolute power and bring all the assistance under his subjection which was very improbable seeing the governor had propounded in court to have an order established for limiting the governor's authority and had himself drawn articles for that end which had been approved and established by the whole court neither could he justly be charged to have transgressed any of them so the meeting breaking up without any other conclusion but the commending the success of it by prayer to the lord the governor brought the deputy onward of his way and every man went to his own home footnote winthrop and dudley were men differently constituted while the former was mild disposed to lenity and always a seeker of peace the latter was intolerant uncompromising of quick temper and disposed to ride roughshod 
This is not the end of the discord between the two men. For full presentation of the matter, see Winthrop, Life and Letters of John Winthrop, and Jones, Thomas Dudley. The concluding four words refer to page 91. See two pages after. In footnote, the sachem, who is joined with Canonicus, the great sachem of Narangasat, called Mechima after Miantinoma, being at Boston, where he had lodged two nights with his squaw and about twelve snaps, being present at the sermon, three of his snaps went out in the meantime and break into a neighbor's house, etc. Complaint being made thereof to the governor after evening exercise, he told the sachem of it, and with some difficulty caused him to make one of his snaps to beat them, and then sent them out of his towns, but brought the sachem and the rest of the company to his house, and made much of them as he had done before, which he seemed to be well pleased with, but that evening he departed. At a court not long after, two of Chickatabut's men were convicted and convicted for assaulting some English of Dorchester in their houses, etc. They were put in the bilbos, and Chickatabut required to beat them, which he did. The congregation of Boston and Charleston began the meeting house at Boston, for which, and Mr. Wilson's house, they had made a voluntary contribution of about 120 pounds. Fourteenth, fair weather and small wind, and northeast at Boston, and at the same time, such a tempest of wind northeast, a little without the bay, as no boat could bear sail, and one had her mast borne by the board. So again, when there hath been a very tempest at northwest or west in the bay, there hath been a stark calm one league or two offshore. This summer was very wet and cold, except now and then a day or two, which caused great store of mosquitoes and rattlesnakes. The corn in the dry sandy grounds was much better than other years, but in the fatter grounds much worse, and in Boston, etc., much shorn down close by the ground with worms. The windmill was brought down to Boston because, where it stood near Newtown, it would not grind but with a westerly wind. Mr. Oldham had a small house near the where at Watertown, made all of clapboards, burnt down by making a fire in it when he had no chimney. This week they had in barley and oats, at Sagus, above twenty acres good corn and sound with the plough. Great stores of eels and lobsters in the bay. Two or three boys have brought in a bushel of great eels at a time and sixty great lobsters. The Braintree Company, which had begun to sit down at Mount Wollaston, by order of the court removed to Newton. There were Mr. Hooker's company. Footnote. This is the first mention of a great figure in New England history. Thomas Hooker was born in Leicestershire in 1586. He was a scholar and fellow of Emanuel College, Cambridge, and at this time a man of mature years was a lecturer at Braintree in Essex. The non-conforming ministers often continued their ministrations under this name. In due time, we shall have mention of his arrival in New England, and of his immigration with many followers to Connecticut, perhaps democratic secession from Massachusetts. Of Hooker's influence in establishing the institutions of Connecticut, and their subsequent importance as related to the Constitution of the United States, see Johnston, Connecticut, American Commonwealth Series, pages 1969, in footnote. The governor's wife was delivered of a son, who was baptized by the name of William. The governor himself held the child to baptism, as others in the congregation did use. William signifies a common man, etc. 30th. Notice being given of ten sagamores and many Indians assembled at Muddy River, footnote, Muddy River, now Brookline, in footnote. The governor sent Captain Underhill with twenty musketeers to discover, etc., but at Roxbury they heard they were broke up. September 4th. One Hopkins of Watertown was convicted for selling a piece and pistol with powder and shot to James Sagamore, for which he had sentenced to be whipped and branded in the cheek. It was discovered by an Indian, one of James' men, upon promise of concealing him, for otherwise he was sure to be killed. 
the ministers afterward for an end of the difference between the governor and the deputy ordered that the governor should procure them a minister at newtown and contribute somewhat towards his maintenance for a time or if he could not by the spring effect that then to give the deputy toward his charges in building there twenty pounds the governor accepted this order and promised to perform it in one of the kinds but the deputy having received one part of the order returned the same to the governor with this reason to mr wilson that he was so well persuaded that the governor's love to him and he did prize it so much as they had given him one hundred pounds instead of twenty pounds he would not have taken it notwithstanding the heat of contention which had been between the governor and deputy yet they usually met about their affairs and that without any appearance of any breach or discontent and ever after kept peace and good correspondence together in love and friendship one jenkins late an inhabitant of dorchester and now removed to cape porpoise footnote cape porpoise near the mouth of saco river maine in footnote went with an indian up into the country with store of goods to truck and being asleep in the wigwam of one of pasacanamimi's men was killed in the night by an indian dwelling near the mohawk's country who fled away with his goods but was fetched back by pasacanomi there was much suspicion that the indians had some plot against the english both for that many Narragansett men, etc., gathered together, who, with those of these parts, pretended to make war upon the Nepnit men, and diverse insolent speeches were used by some of them, and they did not frequent our houses as they were wont, and one of their pawas told us that there was a conspiracy to cut us off to get our victuals and other substance. Upon this there was a camp pitched at Boston in the night to exercise the soldiers against need might be, and Captain Underhill, to try how they would behave themselves, caused an alarm to be given upon the quarters which discovered the weakness of our people who like men amazed knew not how to behave themselves so as the officers could not draw them into any order all the rest of the plantations took the alarm and answered it but it caused much fear and distraction among the common sort so as some who knew of it before yet through fear had forgotten and believed the indians had been upon us we doubled our guards and kept watch every day and night fourteenth the rumor still increasing the three next sagamores were sent for who came presently to the governor sixteen being the lord's day in the evening mr pierce and the ship lion arrived and came to an anchor before boston he brought one hundred and twenty-three passengers whereof fifty children all in health and lost not one person by the way save his carpenter who fell overboard as he was cocking a port they had been twelve weeks aboard and eight weeks from the land's end he had five days east wind and thick fog so as he was forced to come all that time by the lead and the first land he made was Cape Ann. Twenty-second, the Barnstable ship went out to Pullen Point to Morrow Harbor. Twenty-second, the Barnstable ship went out at Pullen Point, footnote, Pullen's Point in Boston Harbor still retains its name, in footnote, to Marble Harbor. Twenty-seventh, a day of thanksgiving at Boston for the good news of the prosperous success of the King of Sweden, etc., footnote, the defeat and death of Tilly and the entrance of Gustavus Adolphus into Munich, in footnote, and for the safe arrival of the last ship and all the passengers etc october eighteenth captain cammock and one mr godfrey a merchant came from pascataquack and, uh, and captain neil his pinnace and brought sixteen hogsheads of corn to the mill they went away november blank twenty fifth the governor with mr wilson pastor of boston and the two captains etc went aboard the lion and from thence mr pierce carried them in a shallop to wessaguscus footnote now weymouth in footnote the next morning mr pierce returned to his ship and the governor and his company went on foot to plymouth and came thither within the evening the governor of plymouth mr william bradford footnote 
William Bradford, who died in 1657 after having been governor of Plymouth for 30 years, was born in 1588 at Osterfield in southern Yorkshire, whence while still a youth he went to Holland. Here Bradford toiled as his silk worker, connecting him with the Leyden Company and immigrating with them in the Mayflower. After the death of Carver, the first governor, he became the head and mainstay of the enterprise until his death, though for a few years Edward Winslow and Thomas Prince relieved him in the chief place. He was widely accomplished, speaking Dutch and French, and versed also in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. The testimony as to his moderation and wisdom is uniform, and his history of Plymouth Plantation, recovered amid national rejoicements after being long lost, is one of the most precious of American documents. It is reprinted in this present series. In footnote, a very discreet and grave man, with Mr. Brewster, footnote, William Brewster was 60 years old at the time of the voyage to the Mayflower, and possessed a character which made his influence truly patriarchal. He had mingled in great affairs, having accompanied the envoy of Elizabeth to Holland on an important diplomatic errand as secretary. Though never formally ordained, yet as ruling elder, he exercised most of the functions of teacher and pastor of the congregation. Until his death in 1644, he stood by Bradford, a main pillar of the colony, and remains one of the most venerated figures of American history. In footnote, the elder and some others came forth and met them without the town and conducted them to the governor's house, where they were very kindly entertained and feasted every day at several houses. On the Lord's Day there was a sacrament, which they did partake in, and in the afternoon Mr. Roger Williams, according to their custom, propounded a question to which the pastor, Mr. Smith, footnote, Reverend Ralph Smith, after painful experiences at Salem and Nantiscot, became minister at Plymouth where, though not highly esteemed, he remained some years. Roger Williams, a veritable bird of passage, was for the moment in Plymouth, and footnote, spake briefly. Then Mr. Williams prophesied, and after the governor of Plymouth spake to the question, after him the elder, then some two or three more of the congregation. Then the elder desired the governor of Massachusetts and Mr. Wilson to speak to it, which they did. When this was ended, the deacon, Mr. Fuller, footnote, Samuel Fuller, associated with the governor John Carver as a deacon of the Pilgrim Church at the coming from Holland, a useful and respected man. He possessed some medical skill and was even sent for from Boston and Salem, in footnote, put the congregation mind of their duty of contribution, whereupon the governor and all the rest went down to the deacon seat and put into the box and then returned. 27th, the wind northwest, Mr. Pierce set sail for Virginia. 31st being Wednesday. About five in the morning, the governor and his company came out of Plymouth, the governor of Plymouth, with the master and elder, etc., accompanying them near a half mile out of town in the dark. The lieutenant Holmes, with two others, and the governor's mare, came along with them to the great swamp, about ten miles. When they came to the great river, they were carried over by one Ludham, their guide, as they had been with when they came, the stream being very strong and up to the crotch. So the governor called that passage Ludham's Ford. Thence they came to a place called Hughes Cross. The governor, being displeased at the name, in respect that such things might hereafter give the papists occasion to say that their religion was first planted in these parts, changed the name, and called it Hughes Folly. So they came that evening to Wessaguscus, where they were bountifully entertained, as before, with store of turkeys, geese, ducks, etc., and the next day came safe to Boston. About this time Mr. Dudley, his house at Newtown, was preserved from burning down, and all his family from being destroyed by gunpowder, by a marvelous deliverance, the hearth of the hall chimney burning all night upon a principal beam and store of principal being near, and not discovered till they arose in the morning, and then it began to flame out. Mr. John Elliot, a member of the Boston congregation, and one of whom the congregation intended presently to call to the office of teacher, was called to be a teacher to the church at Roxbury. 
and though Boston labored all they could, both with the congregation of Roxbury and with Mr. Elliot himself, alleging their want of him, and the covenant between them, etc., yet he could not be diverted from accepting the call of Roxbury November 5th, so he was dismissed. About a fortnight before this, those of Charleston, who had formerly been joined to Boston congregation, now in regard of the difficulty of pastors in the winter and having opportunity of a pastor, one Mr. James, footnote, Thomas James, predecessor of John Harvard as minister of Charleston, went soon to New Haven, whence probably he returned to England, in footnote, who came over at this time was dismissed from the congregation of Boston. The congregation of Watertown discharged the elder, Richard Brown, of his office, for his unfitness in regard of his passion and distemper in speech, having been oft admonished and declared his repentance for it. 21st. The governor received a letter from Captain Neal that Dixie Bull and fifteen more of the English, who kept about the east, were turned pirates, and had taken diverse boats, and rifled Pimiquid, etc. Hereupon the governor called a council, and it was agreed to send his bark with twenty men to join with those of Pascatequack for the taking of the said pirates. 22nd. A fast was held by the congregation of Boston, and Mr. Wilson, formerly their teacher, was chosen pastor, and Blank Oliver, footnote, Thomas Oliver, ancestor of an honorable time, prominent especially in the Revolution, during which his descendants were strongly opposed to independence, in footnote, a ruling elder, and both were ordained by imposition of hands, first by the teacher and the two elders, in the name of the congregation, upon the elder, and then by the elder and deacons upon the pastor. December 4th. At a meeting of all the assistants, it was agreed in regard that the extremity of the snow and frost had hindered the making ready of the bark, and that they had certain intelligence that those of Pascatequack had sent out two pinnaces and two shallops, above a fortnight before, to defer any further expedition against the pirates till they heard what was done by those, and for that end it was agreed to send presently a shallop to Pascatuac to learn more, etc. Accordingly, the governor dispatched away John Gallop, footnote, John Gallop, a bold sailor who comes up hereafter in picturesque connections. Gallop's Island in Boston Harbor perpetuates the name, in footnote, with a shallop. The wind being very great at southwest, he could reach no further than Cape Ann Harbor that night, and the winds blowing northerly, he was kept there so long that it was January the 2nd before he returned. By letters from Captain Neal and Mr. Hilton, footnote, Edward and William Hilton founded in 1623 the settlement at Dover, New Hampshire, in footnote, etc., it was certified that they had sent out all the forces they could make against the pirates, fees, four pinnaces and shallops, and about forty men who, coming to Pimquid, were there wind-bound about three weeks. It was further advertised by some who came from Penobscot that the pirates had lost one of their chief men by a musket shot from Pimiquid, and that there remained but fifteen, whereof four or five were detained against their wills, and that they had been at some English plantations, and taken nothing from them but what they paid for, and that they had given another pinnace in exchange for that of Mr. Maverick, and as much beaver and otter as it was worth more, etc., and that they had a law against excessive drinking, and that their order was, at such times as other ships used to have prayer, that they would assemble upon the deck, and one sing a song, or speak a few senseless sentences, etc. They also sent a writing directed to all the governors, signifying their intent not to do harm to any more of their countrymen, but to go to the southward, and to advise them not to sin against them, for they are resolved to sink themselves rather than be taken. Signed under the Fortune Legarde, and no name to it. End of section 3, 1632.